now and um, just consider these um, wonderful words uh, of our Lord Jesus and words of comfort and uh, I guess um, we're often hearing about the unprecedented days we live in that's uh, the word that's been used over and over again and yet they are disturbing days I think we have to say that um, you know, we think of these last couple of years, they're days of great loss, aren't they? Uh, the, the pandemic has made us feel our vulnerability, which is, is pretty good, I guess. We need to do f stand in need of feeling just how vulnerable we really are. We, we're much too self-sufficient as a nation. And yet we have to say that um, it has been a time of great loss to many, um, if not physical loss, um, people have lost uh, jobs and uh, status, uh, um, any kind of savings they might have had, and uh, yet ultimately there has been that loss of life. And so we've been made to see in this sort of proud 21st century uh, Western culture just how frail and vulnerable we really are. That can only be good spiritually, can't it? Just to see how needy we are. And, and yet, um, many are carrying a, a real sense of uh, uh, fear, I guess. And I think that's what loss does when, when it knocks the confidence. And, uh, and many grieving hearts. Um, you know people who have uh, left uh, this world. And... Um, you know, when we're young, there's, there's a, a certain amount of bounce about us, isn't there? We often attribute it to strength spiritually. But I think it was George Whitfield who said that the older he got, he felt there was much smoke in the fire of his younger days. As we get older, we don't bounce back quite as we, as we uh, did years ago. I'm reminded of this. I, I took a camp a couple of weeks ago, the... Um, the Heath Church Senior Camp down in Devon. I don't know what possessed me to think I could play football. I saw these young guys running around, and I don't know, I just thought, well, I can do ten minutes. And within five minutes, I was hobbling with this uh, torn muscle, which I'm still hobbling with today. And uh, there's something about us that just refuses to accept we're getting old, and we're going to die. <laughs> but that's the, that's the bottom line. We're getting old. We're going to die. And, uh, well, anyway, without being uh, going down that line too much, um, something can grip us at times. We just feel a sense of fear that we never thought we'd have to battle with. In our younger days, we can cope with life. We can cope with death. Yet the years go by, and somehow... We just can't cope as we used to. Now, maybe you haven't got to that yet. Uh, it'll come. It'll come. And uh, C.S. Lewis, very wise man and uh, perceptive in many ways, and he was speaking now about, um, about grieving. He was speaking about uh, those who have uh, lost loved ones in death. And he wrote this. He said, No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. He said... I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach, the same restlessness, the yawning. 
I keep on swallowing. We've all got to face death, haven't we? Death of those we love and our own mortality too. As Christians, we are realists. You know, the world often says, yeah, you're escapists, you, you believers. No, no, we're not. We're the realists. We know that life is short, that death is certain, so death never takes us by surprise. It always strikes me as strange that they, they announce on the news such and such a person died and uh, he was only 96. What a shock. Ridiculous. You know, it, because the world's in total escapism mode. Whereas we know this, this we, we, we see the news every day. We, we, we mustn't be whipped up into the panic that, that the news likes to, to do to us. You know, we are realists. We live in a dying world. And so we're preparing all of our life. And that's why we're turning to a passage such as this. This was given to us. These golden words were given to us, not just on certain occasions, but that it might be built into us so that we live well and we die well. And people will think, well, what is, what is it with those people? Well, we are, we are realists. We're living in a dying world, but in Jesus we have a living hope. So really, I guess that will be the title. I, I don't know what I'll call this. I, I like sometimes I like to give my messages titles, so at least I know what I'm aiming at. No one else does. But this is Hope in the Face of Death. That would be a good title. Hope in the Face of Death. Uh, medicine for Broken Hearts. Anything like that. When we come to these beautiful words, context we, we know so well is the death and departure of the Lord Jesus. It's drawing near. There's mounting tension. You feel it when you read through these chapters. You feel the tension mounting. And the disciples are fearful and edgy. We, we know what it's like when, you know, when there's fear comes in. It, does make, it puts you on edge and you could snap. And there's that, it's that kind of atmosphere. It's charged with uncertainty. See, the Lord has informed them, one of you is a traitor. Another of you will betray me. So that's shaken them. Lord, is it I? So this is the kind of atmosphere of fear and uncertainty. In fact, the Lord knew that in the coming days, they all would forsake him. He knew what they were. Perhaps they feared that Christ would depart in anger, in great disappointment over them. Instead, what we have recorded in John 14 are the most beautiful words of love and assurance, words that have been a strength and comfort to millions through the years. So Jesus was seeking to ensure that not only they, but we today, all through the generations, God's people, would um, make heaven sure. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't have a hope of heaven. Maybe you, you can't say it is well with my soul. Maybe I could ask you, do you know, if you were to die today, your sins are forgiven and you're right with God. So important. You know, you can go to church, but it doesn't make you a Christian. We, we know that so well. Do you know, if you were to die today, your sins are forgiven and you're right with God and you would go to heaven? Well, as we go through this, maybe you could just check and uh, make sure, making heaven sure. That could be another title, couldn't it? So here's the Lord Jesus. And what he's going to set out 
is the certainty we can have that when we die, we're going to heaven. You know, people laugh, oh, pie in the sky, you Christians. But no, God in his tremendous kindness, his great love, he wants us to know that when we die, that we really are going to heaven. So here's the Lord Jesus. And first of all, this is so simple. You know, God is so kind. He speaks about heaven as a place. John 14, this is verses 1 to 3. And uh, makes it so clear. Uh, first of all, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Straight, straight away he wants them to be eased. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Then he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. But don't let your hearts be troubled. What tremendous words of comfort. They just, they needed to hear those words. They needed to hear those. They, they were fearful and they were guilty. <laughs> That's what guilt does when you, when you feel you've let God down. Feel guilty. And the devil comes in, says, call yourself a Christian, <laughs> you know, you, all those years of reading the Bible, going to church, call yourself a Christian. We have a vile enemy. The Christian can never be robbed of their salvation. The devil tries to do the next best thing and rob us of the joy of our salvation. So we will be miserable Christians. Do you know any miserable Christians? Don't tell me, there might be one next to you. But you know, You'd get them, don't you? It looks like being sucking lemons. You know, we don't allow ourselves to be happy. You know. <laughs> and, uh, but no, the devil wants to rob us of the joy of our salvation. I'm just reading again Martin Lloyd-Jones' Spiritual Depression. I don't know if you've read it. Essential Christian Reading. And that's his sort of main thesis, really, through the book. You know, how, is he, how the devil's seeking to rob us of this precious gift, the joy of our salvation. And uh, he's speaking about depressed Christians. Now, he's not speaking about medical depression there, but he's speaking about that spiritual depression um, that, that can come upon us. And so this is the kind of medicine that, that, that we need. And so the law starts off, don't let your hearts be troubled. But that word here in the Greek, it means distressed or stirred up or um, churned up. We feel... Our hearts churned up at times. What's wrong with me, we say? I just feel churned up, disturbed. We've been robbed of our peace. Uncertainty of the future always produces fear, doesn't it? And again, we, we get too much news. Don't, don't, don't get more news than you need. There's this endless cycle of news, this exposition, constant Exposition. We're turning it around. We're chewing it over. You know that, that's what that's that's their job. And uh, you know, just get what you need. Just just get a, keep up to date with the news, but don't take more than you need. Don't keep turning it around and chewing it over. And so we find ourselves churned up because we're hearing more of the world's bad news than we are of God's good news. So feed more on God's word than we are from all the things flooding in. We can't take too much. Yeah, keep up to date, get, get things, but uh, turn it into prayer. 
faith-filled prayer. So there is that fear of uncertainty. We're living in those days, I, I think, and there's a, there's a sense of loss as we are. I mean, we had some of our family over yesterday, and uh, th- that my sister and her husband, and her, they're not Christians. And, oh, they're, they're lovely folk, but they are so lost. So, 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 so nice, but they are so hopeless. So hopeless. And the only verse I could think, we, we, you know, we try, try to say a word that they've heard the gospel many times. And um, all I could think of was when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. They are restless. They are lost. And that's the unbeliever today. You know, they're wandering through this world just to have an idea who they are, why they're here. Um, there's no one old enough to remember the Beatles here, is there? But I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm, uh, I'm in my youth. Um, love to listen to the Beatles, and uh, some of their songs you wouldn't want to listen to. Some of them had tremendous truth. There was a, a, a song there called Nowhere Man. He's a real nowhere man, um, sitting in a nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody, doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to, isn't he a bit like you and me? That was certainly me, before I was a Christian, you know, um, alcoholic in my mid-twenties, never saw that coming. (laughs) But that's what happens. You wander through life. If you've got no direction, if you're from a Christian home... You, you don't appreciate, if you're a Christian, you don't appreciate the blessing of having parents who prayed for you and took you to church. And, you know, there, there is that, even though it doesn't convert you, there is that just um, a security built in. But, but most people like me, nowhere, you know, you're, you're born into the world, you don't know why you're here, you don't know where you're going to, you just wander from one mess to another. That's people without God, people without Christ, without hope, without God in in the world. And we should have great compassion. So life is a mystery and death is to be avoided. Don't mention death. You know, know, it's a great taboo word. And uh, if it is mentioned, it's always in kind of sentimental terms. They've passed now and, and yet never wanting to meet with the awfulness of death head on. So, here's the Lord Jesus, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. The reason why they're not to fear is because, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. All the fear, the, the sting of death, he's going to remove. And so, he, he's given them a reason not to fear. You know, people in the world say, don't worry, don't worry, cheer up. But they don't give you a reason not to worry. You know, have a cup of tea, cheer up. No, oh, that's not going to change anything. But when the Lord Jesus gave, uh, told us not to worry, he always gave a good reason why we need not be worried and need not be fearful. So he's saying, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, and it's so homely. It's the Father's house. It's the Father's home. Um, you know, God accommodates us, doesn't he, that we can understand what a, what a home is. It, it's a place where we... Where we belong, there's nothing 
weird or, or strange about it. Um, of course, the implication is there, isn't it? It's the father's home. So you need to be in the family, don't you? And that's why earlier speaking to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again, Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. You've got to come, come to know God as your father. Not enough to be religious. Not enough to know the word of God. You must be born again. And when you're born again, you can call God your father. But a home, we, we can understand that. You know, there, there is a restlessness, isn't there? You know, human beings, we, there, there is that longing for heaven. In every, I'm convinced, in every human being, there's a longing. We know the world shouldn't be like this. You know, you, you go to the most ungodly person, they know the world shouldn't be like this. There shouldn't be wars. There, there shouldn't be heartbreak. There shouldn't be family breakups. There shouldn't be sickness. We, we, we know we've been, this, this, this isn't how it should be. There's, there's an awareness. Well, certainly when we become Christians, we can see we've been kicked out of Eden. We've been thrown out. We've lost perfection. We've fallen. So there is that longing for another world, where, a longing for a place where there is no suffering. But even in, on earthly terms, there is, there is a longing for... God has made us to belong into families and, and to go... You know, we, we know what it is to go on holiday. It's nice to go away on holiday, isn't it? But, but it's nice to get home, isn't it? You, you come and you've got your favourite chair and you, you know, you just put the kettle on. And this is where you belong. Now, so straight away, Jesus is speaking in familiar terms here. It's the Father's home. But they need more than that, more information. And he says, um, And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So after speaking about the place, he's saying there is a pathway to that place. There is a way, a specific way. And he says, I am the way. Now, this is where the words of Jesus, you know, everyone sentimentally says, oh, I, I like Jesus. And yet, these words are totally offensive to, to an, an unbelieving mind. Are you telling me that Jesus Christ is the only way? Yeah, that's what he's saying here. Without a shadow of the doubt, he is the only way to God. He is the only way to heaven. This is the only way to be forgiven. Why on earth would he have come from heaven? If there was a, a way that people could get to heaven, why on earth would the Son of God leave heaven uh, and live a perfect spotless life and die such a death? And of course that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That there was one who was going to come who would be sinless. Someone's got to live a sinless life. Heaven's a perfect place, isn't it? And um, nothing impure will enter into it. And the, and the more you read, you get the character of God. If it's, if, it's where, if it's where the Father lives, if it's the Father's home, it's pure, it's holy. Indeed, we see that, don't we? And then you get to Revelation, and nothing impure will enter it. There must be a cleansing, there must be a, a, a washing up. I love to do um, open-air work, 
and uh, you try and put the gospel as simple as you can. Here's people, they've got no idea of the Bible, no idea of scriptural truths, and you're, you're, you're trying to explain to 21st century Western pagans about holiness. <laughs> well, is it? well, I'm not that bad, mate. You know, I've got a good heart, okay? I might, have, I, might, you know, I might be a drunkard and sleep around a bit, but I've got a good heart, you know? Incredible! How people think they'll make it in the end. Oh, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll be okay. And we're trying to say, I'm sorry, you don't, you don't realize. I mean, you're trying to set out these two things. The absolute perfection and spotless purity of God and yet his willingness to take hold of the most filthy, vilest person and clean them up. We all grapple with that, don't we? How can a holy God, how can Jesus love sinners? And we, don't we grapple with that? We can't really. If he, and even the Pharisees, if, he, if that man knew what that person was really like, they were, you know, the Pharisees couldn't get that. If he is the Holy One, how can he love those rotten, stinking sinners? We're like it. You know, self-righteousness grows and clings to us like ivy. The longer we're saved, and the further we get away from, you know, an unbelieving lifestyle, Lord, can you really love sinners? We hate them. They stink. You know, they're rotten. Well, of course they are. But somehow, Christ loves them and died for them. So, we've got these two things, and so we're, so here I am in the open air, and I've got this, trying to put in a few words, people passing by, how holy God is, and how unholy we are. And I sometimes use our, our dog as an illustration, it's a bit, sounds a bit trite, doesn't it, but uh, we've got this dog called Winston, well, it's our daughter's dog, I'm the chief dog walker, they allow me to walk him and pick his poo up and things like that, an honoured position in the household. And uh, now Winston, you know, he's a lovely dog, but um, he rolled, on a bad day, he sticks his face in all this mud and soil, and then he sticks his face in our window to come in, and Gwen's got this, well, I've got this as well, a sofa, a white sofa. Now, there is no way, and we sometimes say, he doesn't understand the word we're saying, we sometimes say, word, uh, Winston, we, we love you, but there's no way you're going to come in here with all that filth onto that white city. He just looks at us dumbfounded. But, but it's just like us. We, 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 we are filthy and dirty by nature, yet God in his great love wants to clean us up and, and take us in. It's the Father's home, but it's pure and it's holy. And, and so here is Jesus saying, I am the way. You're going to have to go to the cross, die on the cross. But the righteous one dying for the unrighteous, he who knew no sin would become sin for us we might become the righteousness of, of God. So here's the Lord Jesus. And uh, now, the, as I say, these words are totally offensive. There's only one way to God, yet it's through Jesus Christ. And of course, these are days of relativism. You know, um, there was a time when this is truth. Truth is the truth. That's gone. It's all relative now. And so there's all different kinds of truths. And... Um, do you remember the, the, the Meghan Markle interview going back, was it a year or two ago? She was interviewed on um, American TV and, uh, and she, she was asked to give her truth. Notice that. Not her story 
or her opinion, but her truth. And that's how it is today. What's your truth? I've got my truth, you've got your truth. No, hang on a minute. We're not talking about an opinion here. We're talking about truth. And Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So here's the Lord Jesus, comes into the world to live the life we could never live and to die the death we deserve to die. It's the offense of the cross, of course, isn't it? That Jesus being the only way. But he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Well, do you believe that? <laughs> Two of us? Yeah. Good. No. But, you know, it's one thing to, to believe intellectually, but to say, I have no hope of heaven but that Jesus Christ died for me. My sin is filthy and vile. I have no hope apart from the fact of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. My only hope is in him. That's what it is. We put our whole weight upon Christ. And on our dying day, when the devil assaults us and presents all our sin to us, as he will do, we're looking to Jesus Christ. I remember as a young Christian, this is, this is an important, I think, application, because um, on our dying day, we will be assaulted with the fiery darts. And uh, I remember as a young Christian, I'd only been saved a couple of months, going to see this godly, um, uh, he was a converted, well, he was a Welshman, sorry about that, Colin, well, Welsh boxer, he was, he was a, you know, a very tall, big, strong man, but a strong, God saved him, became this tremendous, strong Christian, and, uh, and he was the one who introduced me to open air, well, Mike, we're going to have to bore my seafront, do you want to come? Okay, Granville, I'll come with you. Anyway, good, strong Christian, but, but he had this illness, and um, taken into Bournemouth Hospital, I went to see him, I couldn't believe it, when I went to see him, he was doubting if he was ever saved. I thought, what? Well, you know, there is a devil. And here he was in this time of weakness. And what was he doing? We're looking at his life. Of course, we haven't done enough. We haven't prayed enough. Haven't read the Bible enough. We haven't shared our faith enough. Of course we haven't. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness, isn't it, we trust in. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ here. He's putting it so plainly, it's about me. It's about me. He was surrounded by this bunch of failures, but he's saying, I am the way. It's all about me, what I, what I have done, my life, my death, and of course his resurrection that would come. So he is speaking about the place and the path and a lot more quickly. Then the power he speaks about. This is in verse 16 and 17. He goes on to say this. Um, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's speaking here about, about one who's going to come, who would live within them to help them live the life they cannot live. 
And, um, well, again, we're all the same as Christians, but some of us were more aware of our need of God's power than, than others. Me and my addiction, I needed more than forgiveness. That sounds as if I'm putting forgiveness in. No, forgiveness is essential. But I needed two things, really. I needed forgiveness for my sin, and I needed power to live another life. I, just, I didn't just need my sin cancelling out. How do I deal with life for the future? How can I live for Christ now? But that's what God does for every believer. Cleanses us from our sin, then sends the Spirit to live within us. Now you put that in a different order if you want to. <laughs> but it's the Spirit, really, that gives us the life of Christ within. God gives us power to live a life that's pleasing to Him and satisfying to us. A foretaste of heaven. The only thing that keeps me from addiction is that I've tasted real happiness, real joy. That's what, there's no medical cure for alcoholism. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weed that keeps growing, but if Christ comes and takes the root out, it's battle over. And we all need power to live Christian life, don't we? We cannot live this life of our own. How can we love God? How can we love others? But Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And um, now every testimony is, is, is different, but it is the power of God living in us. I remember reading a, I love Christian biography, and there was this gypsy's testimony, was speaking about his father, actually, first of all. And he said this, No scientist is as sure of the working of any law, no mathematician is as sure of any axiom as I am that Jesus Christ came into my gypsy tent and converted my rough, swearing, pilfering gypsy father and turned him into a clean, tender, honourable, strong, beautiful Christian man. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now, this isn't just for addicts. We're all sinful people who need the Spirit to convert us and to live within us. It's an ongoing battle, isn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful is the moment you're converted, you're instantly sanctified. Wouldn't that be tremendous? Wouldn't it be wonderful on, on that day that you're converted, you suddenly are placed in a little bubble and wafted off to heaven. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But no, we live in this rotten, stinking world and um, we've, uh, we've got the world around us, we've got the devil assaulting us, and we've got our own sinful nature to battle within, haven't we? So we need the Spirit on a daily basis. Isn't it a daily battle? Foolishly, I thought that as I got older, it would get easier. <laughs> We're still battling with sin, aren't we? Sins we thought we'd conquered, it's a daily battle. That's why we need to we come to God's Word every day, and we pray every day, we seek God every day. God keeps us dependent. But um, it's the joy of obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. There is, that, there is the ought to the Christian life. We ought to read God's word. We ought to pray. But we need to. We, 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 we dare defend our dearest friend and we want to um, walk with him. And so there is that power God gives us. And so we do our part, but God does his part. It is that sanctifying work of the Spirit. Last of all, very, very quickly now, it's the peace he gives. Verse 27, 
again, these words of comfort. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So this peace isn't the peace the world gives. In other words, cheer up, don't worry. You know, have a few drinks, buy some more stuff. Keep, you know. <laughs> this is a peace completely independent of circumstances. You know, you can be poor and dying of illness, and yet there is a peace that passes all understanding. And that's the peace that Jesus speaks here. It's heaven in the soul. When we make our peace with God, then we know the peace of God. But then that's something, again, which we need to seek God for time and time again. But it's God's peace within us. Well, I, I could go on, but no need. Um, the Lord has done all we need to keep our hearts from being troubled. And, and, and we're surrounded by people desperate to hear this. You know, we, 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 we should pray, Lord, please give me opportunities to speak of you. You know, we're not all evangelists, but God has given you a mission field of family and friends and neighbors, and they are lost and clueless. And we should be going with great love and compassion and sharing what we know. And uh, just in a very natural, kind and compassionate way. I remember um, when um, I was a pastor in Bridgend in, in South Wales, there was um, a lady in our church who was a Macmillan doctor. And um, if anyone requested to, to see a minister, then she would arrange an appointment. And so... Um, I went into the uh, Princess of Wales Hospital in, in Bridgend to see this man who was dying of cancer. And uh, they'd put this man into a, a side ward to die. There was nothing much of him. And tall, tall man, you could tell he would have been a strong man, but he was just um, bony, grey, dying. And I sat down at his bedside and I noticed at his um, bedside cabinet was this great thick book on all the world religions. And I knew what he was doing. He knew his days were short. He was going to try and sort one of these religions out before he died. And I took one look at the book and one look at him and I thought, you're not going to finish it. You're not going to get through the book. So I, I sat down and um, just, uh, isn't the gospel wonderfully simple? Even kids can understand it and dying sinners can understand it. I just explained simply that it wasn't too late for him. He lived all his life without Christ, but it wasn't too late. That he could make his peace with God and have peace with God. And I explained the gospel simply, left him a little leaflet, peace with God leaflet, and went out. Went back some days later, not sure whether he'd be there, but I went in, he's still in the side ward, still dying, still grey, but his eyes were glowing with joy. And I sat down and he said, I want to tell you what's happened. I knew what had happened. He'd had a greater visitor than Mike Mellon, for sure. And uh, he took my hands in his great big hands like that and explained how he'd uh, met with God and God had given him his, his peace. And That's what it is. It's a gift. My peace I give to you.
So do you have that today? That's, that's my question. If not, you can. This, this is his message. This is God's message. This is Jesus himself speaking. He's saying, come to me. I am the way and the truth and the life. We don't know when our last day is, do we? You know, I look it down. Some of you are further down the road than others. Don't know, do we? But there's no telling. You know, young, young people die. There is no telling whatsoever um, who's going to be next. But we will be, unless the Lord comes, of course. That would be wonderful. But um, one by one. But God knows, doesn't he? So what, how wonderful it is just to place our lives in his hands. He is the all-wise God. And just to rest in the fact that uh, my, my days are in his hands, that's a wonderful, wonderful place to rest. So let's pray now. Father, when we think of the mind that created this universe, Lord, we see pictures of this universe, whether we use a telescope or a microscope, the complexity, what minds devised, created this universe, and yet, our loving Father in heaven, that you have made the way to know you so simple that the, uh, the youngest and the simplest human being can understand it. Lord, we pray, give us understanding, not just of our minds, but of our spirits, that we might really understand and come to trust in the Christ, whose peace we pray we will have this day. Father, hear us as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's turn to 783. Seven eighty-three. O Thou who camest from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. Seven eighty-three.
may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.